Hello, and welcome to the Yellow Brick Therapy Podcast, episode number 19. My name is Jenny Helms, and I'm so excited to host this podcast. You may hear a little bit in my voice that I have been a tiny bit under the weather, which is why I almost um, didn't put this episode up yet because I was waiting for my voice to return. But I decided that I didn't want to wait any longer to have this episode up. It's a great episode with April Renee. She is a licensed social worker here in Topeka, Kansas, and she talks to me about a concept I'd never even really heard of or thought of called geek therapy, and she does tell us more about what that is, who originally founded it because I don't think it was her that coined the term, but she does have a book coming out um, all about it, and I didn't even realize myself that with one of my clients, I was utilizing this type of therapy, so I think this will be an interesting podcast for therapists and clients alike if you're interested in learning more about geek therapies and and just more about her practice and the way that she does therapy. So without further ado, let's get into the show. We'll start today with our first four. What did you want to be when you were younger? Um, What did you want to be when you grew up? And how did that evolve to you being a therapist today? So like everything else in my life... When I saw this question, the first thing I thought was, it's a story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, as a child, the first thing I wanted to do was write and illustrate children's books. And then when people laughed at me for wanting to write and illustrate children's books, I decided I have to be taken seriously as a writer first and switched to journalism. I was like, I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to learn and the truth and I'm going to share it with so many different people. And then as I got older, I realized I need to find something that I'm really, really good at. And then I can pursue writing so I can be even more directive. And so that's when I came up on uh, psychology. Nice. So I started in psychology and then about my third year, like one year from graduation, I swapped over to social work, just being inspired by some other social workers that I worked with. It was amazing. It was like the difference between really, really, really hard work to, oh my God, this feels like home, right? Yeah. This is what I need to do. Oh, that's so cool. And I love that you're, I haven't heard of that kind of journey before where somebody started wanting to tell stories and writing and that sort of thing. Uh, But it kind of makes sense. Like to me, it makes sense. It's like a natural progression. In someone's book somewhere. Yeah. And that's the way I always kind of pursue it. I even have that painting in my office. I have someone paint where they've got all these books in my head. I'll send you a picture of it later. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's my self-portrait that someone, well, I mean, can it self-portrait, it's not, a, it's a portrait of me, but at the same time, yeah, that's the only part that's true. Uh, if you ever get a chance, get something commissioned and made of you, because the, the process itself is like therapy, where you sit there and you tell your story and you tell, uh, there's an amazing artist in Lawrence, uh, Kristen Tebow, where it's like a therapy session for two to three hours, you tell her she only paints survival stories, and, uh, yeah, just sit there, talk about yourself, talk about what you've done and where you've been. And from that, she creates a painting. And I'll send you a picture of it later. It's just awesome. That is really cool. And I feel like there are definitely clients that come to mind that would appreciate that too. So that's really neat. I always have my clients pick which book is theirs because there's like multicolored books inside my head. I was like, which one's you? <laughs> But it works works with a lot of kids. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so kind of along those lines, uh, even though it's kind of going in in an interesting direction, but tell us about 
a moment in therapy that was like a growing moment or I, I label it a worst moment, but really for, I think for a lot of us, we, if we have a growth mindset, it's just a moment we had where we grew as a therapist because we're like, yeah, that wasn't, that really that wasn't, wasn't go the way I planned. <laughs> yeah. Um, gosh, isn't that like every day? Like we do something we have a plan, we have a strategy, we come in and then you know what? The client takes precedence to everything that we planned. It makes our treatment plan go out the window. Um, So let me think for a moment, just a time when things went really, really awry. The first time I got let go as a therapist and I wasn't meeting the needs of the clients because it was just too intensive for outpatient work. I think for me, um, reflecting, going to supervision and realizing that you're not going to be the right fit for every single client that you meet. And that part of accepting that energy and letting it go is accepting that imagine how much of your energy you spend with a client afterwards, like as they walk out the door and when they're not the right client, when they're not the right fit, that's going to be more, right? When you're working with the right client, when you actually find your niche and you actually find who you're meant to work with, you, you, you're smiling. You want to tell people what you just did, even though you can't. You want to tell people about the coolest things that you did today. So learning the difference in what kind of client I was meant to work with and not meant to work with would probably be that moment for me. So yeah, the first time I got fired. Yeah. So that's great though. Cause yeah, you're absolutely right. We have to find the right fit and I don't think we're supposed to be the right fit for everybody. And I used to think that too, like in my head, I was this, you know, overachieving perfectionism or, you know, recovering perfectionist that wanted to be like, you know, I want to treat and help everybody. And that's not really how it works, nor is it supposed to, like you said. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yes. So that's awesome. And tell me about like brag on yourself for a minute about a distinct moment. That was like a really good moment in therapy where you're like, yes, this is why I do it. Oh my I gosh. Oh my gosh. So I, I have one of these, like I said, every day, every week. Um, but a lot of times I work with kids and reframing themselves as superheroes is one of my favorite interventions, finding which power they need. Cause you know what kids are telling us when they tell us who their supers are, they're telling us that magical miracle wand question. It's just a little more modern. Mm -hmm. So if I could solve any problem, if a kid wants to be invisible, they're scared of being noticed. If the kid wants to, a lot of times I get kids in divorce who want to fix people by changing their minds and reading their minds and changing their minds so that they can manipulate the people around them. Mom and dad get back together is a one that comes up a lot with the kids fresh in divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, So my favorite is, is I've got a kiddo that I worked a couple weeks ago and reframing the negative to the positive, we created our own superhero. And she was actually the alter ego. Mm-hmm. And I, oh my gosh, it was so stupid, but it was so awesome. At the same time, I brought primer and just an eye makeup palette. And we created a face mask around her to look more like a superhero mask. And we sat there and we created her origin story. How did this superhero come to be? And, and how does she help people? Because she's little. So what kind of little superhero deal and I I just love the transformation and then right near the end she goes you should be a superhero too you would be the helper and I just oh girl I about cried right there (laughs) just knowing that aren't we all 
are yeah. we all a person? And then to have a kid stop seeing the negatives and start looking at the people around her and seeing the superhero part of them. Love yeah. it. Yes. It's like healing, like healing trauma, but like the way instead of them seeing the world as a bad place, you're starting to see them see the good and see, yeah. And reframe, like they have a new lens and they've, or they've taken away another lens um, from the stuff they've been going through. So no, I love that. That's really cool. And I like, so tell me more about the age group you work with. You work with. So specifically mm-hmm. what I, I'm looking into, of course, I'm a newer therapist. I've only been doing this about two, two and a half years. And specifically what I love working with is the um, trauma over-functioning teenagers or really, really smart kids that don't feel like they belong anywhere else because they've had to be an adult for so long they don't even know how to talk to kids their own age. So unfortunately, because I want to work with teenagers, trauma and attachment issues don't present in that age group all the time. So what I end up getting is not just the teenagers, but the younger version of them too. So like the youngest kid I've ever worked with with attachment issues is like three, Mm -hmm. but on average six or seven is when they get brought into me. And um, yeah, my ideal client would be the teenage version of that six and seven year old. But you don't always get to pick and choose, right? Like right. sometimes the, kids, the parents say, read your psychology today profile, and they just know that you're the right therapist for their kid. Right. Right. No, that's cool, though. That's, that's interesting. And I work with like teenagers and above. So it's kind of a, like I feel like I scoop into that like 14-year-old range, and then I go up from there. But I love like the languaging because that's super helpful for me, too. And I'm always working on how do I communicate in a way that they can hear it and absorb it and relate to it. Like you're, like you're making it relatable. You're making it part of their world. Mm-hmm. I love that. Totally love that. And so the last question is kind of silly, but what is your spirit animal? I'm going to surprise you with this. There's a reason this question always kind of hits me the off way. Um, so when I think about it, it, what comes up for me is that it's a spiritual question. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, very spiritual. I'm Jewish. And so I spend a lot of time um, doing daily rituals and things like that that are kind of weird to people who aren't Jewish. But when it came to something in nature, we don't really go the animal route. Um, so I started thinking about, well, what, what in nature can I connect to that's part of the eternal? And the first thing that came up to me was actually a phrase that said that the Torah is a tree of life. And so I started thinking that, okay, don't laugh at me. I'm a tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's not like an animal that you would consider, but do you consider how much like a social work or therapy that trees, they, they're constantly a representation of change. They wear their change on their sleeves for everybody to see and learn from as a role model. Mm-hmm. They, first off, their root systems are how they communicate with each other. And a lot of my work, I use stuff like saying getting grounded is not what you think it is. Getting grounded is really like getting rooted and getting put to where nothing can push you down, nothing can move you around. So when I was a kid of the 80s, getting grounded was the worst. But now I use it in a phrase to help people rethink yes. where you're at right now. What's going on? Look around the room. And then the last part is, is do you realize just how much of a community trees are with each other? Like they do some really cool stuff. Like they're the original fiber optics of the world. Um, they communicate through their root systems and they actually, um, one thing they do is they can actually send nutrients to each other. If one tree gets sick, 
they try to do that. And then one of the last things a tree does before it passes is it literally releases all the nutrients into the soil so it can actually give as its last gift all of the food and nutrients that it has. So yeah, uh, my spirit animal will probably be a tree. That's so neat. No, I love that you really thought about that and made it your own because yeah, I think however that question speaks to you is, is where it will go. Right. Um, so yeah, I love it. I love that you took it to like a spiritual level. Cause I think the whole point of these questions is just to see kind of where people will go with them. It's not to have, you know, mm-hmm. a preconditioned response. Yeah, sure. We can take that conversation up anytime. I could talk about that all day. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I really, I wanted to make sure that we talked about um, this concept that you're writing about now, speaking of writing from before, um, just, and, and I want to make sure that I'm introducing this right. So you may have to correct me, but, um, so the book itself is about, um, a concept like geek therapy, which may be coined by another person at the moment. Um, and I'll talk about them in a second, but yeah, yeah uh, I actually, there was a really funny story about the book itself is, is I had a title, I had to change it with six hours to spare. Um, I'm just going to pull it up. So the title that I originally had working turns out that geek therapy is a coined phrase. It's, it was trademarked in 2011 by Husu Caldona, Corona. Uh, I had it written down. Really, really awesome guy contacted me and said, hey, you can't use this. And I said, well, I need something. and I don't have a lot of time. So what do, and then help me like for 45 yeah. minute phone call with a guy in Seattle who was been doing geek therapy work. He has a geek therapy Facebook community. I'd only recently discovered him last year. And so it's, it's relatively new. And if I could describe it, essentially, am I cutting ahead? I'm cutting ahead. If I could describe <laughs> it, I would say that if CBT and experiential and ACT and play therapy all had a child, it would be geek therapy. Um, the way I think um, Jose calls it, he basically says that it's it's using the language of their affinity to create change. So mm-hmm. if a kid's into D and D, if they're into a certain game, or if they're into a lot of kids that come to me, they like comic books, superheroes. I mean, that's just what they're known. And um, for me, it's all about a bridge into bibliotherapy and literacy. Mm-hmm. I love to get kids reading. That's like my big thing because that's that's a bridge, right? That's a bridge out of poverty. That's a bridge out of being able to communicate your needs. So if I can get a kid reading, I always consider it to be a win. But if I wanted to break down to like the progress, I would say that I've been doing this for years and I just never knew there was a name for it. And once I found the name, I I became totally attached to it. The concept of being geek therapy, being a geek therapist, but it's just, it's finding out what the kid already loves and using that language in your everyday. And the title of the book is uh, Mana Up, A Geek Therapist Survival Guide. You can find it on Amazon. And um, I really, really recommend uh, checking out the ebook, getting to see if it's, it's short and sweet. And it's just a workbook that uses my 12 favorite interventions. Mm-hmm. And then it also has documentation recommendations for it. And then at the end, I have a chart checklist. I, I want to make this so easy that by the time you're done reading this book, you can get it in a couple of lunches and you can just start practicing today. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. And it's the first in the series. I, I envision a six book series 
that's it's very similar. I just want to give you, you already have the theory. You already have this stuff. You already know these modalities. And when we, we document it, it's going to be under already established modalities. But if you've ever read a CBT workbook and tried to say that to a teenager, it doesn't work. It doesn't work with the language that we're used to talking in therapists. So you really have to figure out a metaphor they can connect with. And that's where geek therapy comes in. Yes. Very cool. So tell me more about like, could you give me an example of this intervention in action? Like something recent or, you know, just anything off the top of your brain about, you know, what this looks like. Um, Obviously you'd have to de-identify the client, but. Right, 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 right. Um, Absolutely. If I, if I had to sit down and think about it for a minute. Um, oh, I got one for you. So I want you to make a list of every single superhero you can think of. That'll be column A. Mm-hmm. And then the second column, after they get done, this is probably a 45-minute intervention too. Make a list of every single one of them. You're going to have to try to push them. You might say, well, what if, what if I said it was Marvel or DC? And then they start thinking of the recent movies that have come out. Um, I even let them cheat and use their phone if they have to, but I kind of give them a little grief about it. And then I say, okay, now step two, I want you to list me all of their superpowers. Anything you can come up with. I mean, Wonder Woman, they have to think for a minute. You know, Superman, of course, has a whole list. Batman, wait, he's just rich. <laughs> you know, they come to <laughs> I love that Tony Stark and Batman admit in their movie, like, what is your superpower? And he's like, I'm just rich. Um, Tony Stark says it a little more egotistically. He turns around and he's just like, I'm a billionaire, playboy, genius, da 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 Anyway, so we've got our superheroes. We've got their superpowers. And then in column three, I want you to tell me what their biggest problems are. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you right now, the things that are going to come up, I have a couple of different responses I get in that section. Number one, I'm going to know what the kid cares about the most. Mm-hmm. Because those are going to be the things they remember. Because they might have only seen a couple movies about these guys. They're not like me. They don't have 5,000 comic books. But they know they know Tony Stark battled addiction. They know that um, Batman lost his parents. You know, things like that. But what's really going to come to light is, is not only what's most important to them, but what they wish they could fix for themselves. And then the third thing is kind of a bonus. You're going to see that one kid that goes, they all have the same problem. And that's where we start talking. Hmm. They're all alone. They're all scared. They're all tired of being the weirdo and the freak. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. From there, we have a whole different conversation because that normalized all of that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's helping them connect with those parts of themselves too, because when you Describe that typically your your clients are more high-functioning. Um, what I found is that for my teen, well, and my adult clients that are that are high-functioning, that are the overachievers, that tend to be have issues of what I call over-control, loneliness is the biggest struggle they have, right? So that to is that, one complaint I get in my office, absolutely. Yep, and to see that would be amazing without it being like, you know, you telling them as a therapist, oh, these are the issues people like you typically have, you know, like that's not connecting the dots. <laughs> Isn't this, that, that, that's probably the toughest part of our job is getting to connect the dots without just outright saying it because who listens to that? Right. Yeah. And it's, I, I think directive therapy has a time and place, but 
I think the more that we can be, we can let them narrate that story that, that they are the guide throughout therapy, not us. That that's more empowering, right? That's a more empowering stance of getting the client to be empowered to work through their issues. Versus, and what's the number you know, one way for that three percent that never have any change? You're measuring willingness right there because if they can sit there and do this work with you, then it's just going to translate into their life. Yes. If they're not doing the work in your office, how are they going to do it for the other 167 hours they have to live their life <laughs> that week before they see you again? Right. And I, I think making it accessible for little people and teenagers, because, you know, especially most there, well, I'd arguably say a hundred percent of us are adults, <laughs> right? And so we're, we're in our own brain and our own language. And we forget sometimes what it's like to be a teen and to be a kiddo. Um, but if we can really speak their language and, and make it accessible for them, and what does trauma systems teach us? So it doesn't matter if you're a five-year-old or a 55-year-old. Wherever your trauma starts, that's where you get stuck when things go wrong in your life. So I can be working with a 10-year-old, 35-year-old. Mm-hmm. I can have that happen in my office. And as long as you can see that realm, just look at how they react when things go wrong. And then try to think on your scale, where is that appropriate? And you can almost directly go straight to the root trauma right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I dig it. And so what are some of the misconceptions about geek therapy? Another fun question. So first off, the one thing that came up for me when I started asking people about geek therapy, they were like, what? Is this a thing? Does this exist? And I was really lucky to find the geek therapy community and be able to point them in that direction so that I can show that not only does it exist, it's pretty young. It's only about seven or eight years old. And it's really been more established. I, I honestly think that it's rooted in play therapy, but it's more directive. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so the big misconception is what are we talking about? What is this? What, where does this even come from? And how, how grounded is it in research? And the answer is not very, unless you look at the fact that we're using interventions that already exist, we're just updating them. Right. And I think from there, once you're able to show that it exists, um, you're able to move into actually doing the work itself. But I don't get clients that ask me a lot of questions about what modality I'm using. It's Mm -hmm. mostly other therapists. So it's a different conversation when I'm talking to other clinicians Um, but once I established that, yeah, they just want to know specifics. They want to know what do you do? Where is this at? And that's when I started writing because I realized that I guess I really do need it. If the book isn't there, I need to start writing it. Yeah. Well, and that like, that helps because I, the next question was, you know, telling us more about your book and what inspired it and who'd benefit from it. Right. So it sounds like therapist, um, is there, is it meant for parents or clients too, or what? What was kind of your audience that you were hoping for? I wish, I wish parents had the skill set that they could just come in and start doing this work. It's not written for parents. Right. It's written for therapists. I mean, it's, it's broken down into this is the intervention in one sweet paragraph, maybe two or three pages tops. And then this is how I document it. And um, as far as the end cap, it's just, you know, where, where can we go from here? These are, this is your checklist so that you do the interventions. You don't do the same intervention over and over again with the same kid because they'll pick up on that like that. 
Right. Um, so it's definitely written specifically for clinicians. I, I don't recommend that parents try to implement this stuff at home, even though I've had some parents buy the book. There are very behaviorally minded parents out there that are trying to take what we do and bring it home, which is good, but I, 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 I'm hesitant about that. Right. And I think, yeah, like I, when I was reading through your ebook that you sent me, I um, felt like at the beginning you made it like, I loved how you were like, okay, we know the interventions. We, if you have this basis, this is like building upon that foundation that we have as a therapist. Um, or I guess that we assume that we all have, because let's be real. Some does sometimes some school designations, they have to do some training outside of grad school. Take the exact same class and have the exact same curriculum. You're absolutely right. And yeah. one instructor is going to run you through the wall. It is going to be very, very, very complicated. Very, very good. I always went for that instructor because I would rather get my money's worth than, I mean, in game, nobody cares about your GPA. Everybody cares about whether or not you pass the class and you got your license and you can practice. And frankly, nobody even cares about that. They just care about whether or not, well, the insurance companies care about that, but um, (laughs) they care about whether or not you can help them. Right. And so I think that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of that life cycle right there is is that I assume that you already have the basics to be able to practice and this is just what I'm doing short and sweet right there are well-written books about play therapy there are other amazing books about CBT that will give you a root in therapy and tell you the theory itself for you know 150 pages this isn't that book right this is it sounds like more of a toolbox like you're providing Mm -hmm. tools and resources Yes. And correct me if I'm wrong. You tell me. (laughs) Because that's what I took away from it. Yes. I I like the toolbox. I I listen to different. um, That's actually one of my keywords that if it has the word toolbox in it, I'll probably buy that book. Because that (laughs) tells me that they're the same type. So good for you for picking up on that. Yeah. But. And like tangible, I love that you did make things tangible because I can, for me, that's where I struggle sometimes because I was even, I had a clinical review the other day with a an insurance company. Cause you know, we do those from time to time where they call us up to right. ask us all the questions and they're like, behaviorally, how do you measure this? And I was like, I'm like, can I give you the lens of a therapist right now? Because I feel like if you had the like background and training, you'd understand how this works. But, um, so I love that you do that too, because it is important that we're able to tangibly have different things that we're looking at and measuring and, um, insurance companies love it. Um, side note, <laughs> heart scales, don't they? A behavioral baseline of five outbursts within a week goes down to three outbursts within a week, within six months. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to, that's not like what you're giving people. So I want to make sure they understand. I think you're giving people actual tangible I, and understand how to implement this into the therapy room. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. Over the last two years, I've given presentations on this and I I more adequately describe it as conversations that heal, Mm -hmm. but I wanted a different direction for when I wrote the book, but that's, that's the presentations in a nutshell. Um, We're basically looking at ways you can talk to kids about things that are not easy to talk about and turn it into a way where they're focused on building up their own resources. And when I say resources, I'm talking about anybody who's a foundational adult, anybody who is going to give this kid more positive and negative experiences, because nobody can be that person all the time. 
but somebody can be that person most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and giving, I mean, and we know like in the adverse childhood experiences study that one of the biggest buffers and sources of resilience is having an adult that's good enough, right? And good enough is not perfect. Good enough is so far from perfect. It's just a positive example in their life, right? I love the ACEs study. Can you believe how long we've had this information? Isn't that insane that we've had this for 20 something years? And in here, it's just, it's every single time I encounter a first time, I'm just sitting here like, why isn't this like foundational to our approaches where we learn this and trauma work, I think needs to be in the foundation core, but I think it's still an elective, but it's, it's definitely something that changed the way I practice. It changed, it got me rooted into trauma systems therapies and looking at how, like I said, you could be working with an adult who isn't an adult. They are not an adult because things aren't going their way and they're doing what works for them to get them through this time. Yes. And I, so when we, I actually did learn about it in grad school, at least I think so for the first time, I can't remember exactly, but this was a couple years ago and it, it rocked my world in a good way. And I just can't believe that this isn't more mainstream because again, NPR just did a story about it. I put that on the, our like therapy group um, page or whatever. And I'm grateful for that because I'm like, good, this is getting out into the public, but I just, it still blows my mind that this isn't more mainstream by now that everybody doesn't know about this. Um, and we have included the ACE, uh, questionnaire in our intake assessment for every person. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I always tell them that this, okay, do you get this question every time you do it? Is this for me or for the kid? You know, we actually haven't. Actually, that hasn't been the case, but that might also be because most of it we do through our our online portal. So most of, at least my clients have just assumed it's for the kid because honestly, I think it's like, hmm, I don't want to answer these questions for me or, you know, it's it's an interesting thing to see how that plays out for people. But then I've also seen people really open up and say, I'm glad you're asking these questions. You know, it's been kind of a a mixed bag of things where they're like, yeah, I didn't even think to, you know, connect any dots of this being an issue where I've had people come in and say, I had a great childhood and their ACE score is above, you know, it's like a six or seven. Okay. This is an interesting dynamic, but you know, and I also don't want to invalidate that because maybe they did have resourcing and resilience that counteracted some of those ACEs, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting tool to use. And I think it just increases awareness overall. I also think generationally, we are so much more. We have so many tools that we ever, ever could expect our parents to have. Our parents had literally the way they were parented. The parents had the way they were parented as a foundation for what was okay and what's not. Now you do something wrong. It's video. It's on TV. It's on YouTube before you know it. And so there's an accountability change in there. There's a practice change in there as a parent that I I always look at parents. I'm a kid of the 80s. I always look at these different generations and I say, I can't hold my mom accountable. She had the tools she had to be a parent of six children. There's no way she could have known how to foster my independence or meet my needs as a child. I was the oldest. I wasn't going to, I was going to be a secondary parent. Yeah. Yes. Totally experience. Yes. And giving grace to family systems for sure. 
Yeah. And you're right. Like, I mean, generationally therapy looks different now for our teens and our young people, because it is, it is different the way that things play out and boundaries and healthy dynamics. So, you know, we are having to understand where they're coming from with, you know, cyberbullying and, um, and even like, I have some, like my youngest, well, I guess I did have a 12 year old on my caseload. So I, I shouldn't say that I do make exceptions every now and then, but, um, usually I see 14 and above. And my, one of my 14 year olds was describing how she can't be a healthy person. She can't have healthy dynamics with, you know, saying, you know, I like this person, even if you don't, and you get to have your relationship with them because things are just so toxic that like, if you do one thing wrong, they will spread rumors. And then it's like a viral thing now. Like it's not even just like who you can communicate with verbally. It's like everybody in the school will have, you know, this yeah, there's, there's this, this sense of accountability. Yeah. It's oh my gosh. A different world. And I'm like, yeah, so your fear is real. It's not just you being like standing up to a couple of people. It's like social isolation within your community to be healthy. So you, it all makes sense in the context. It totally makes sense. So anyway, yeah, long story short, we're, we're, they're living in a different world. Absolutely. But that's cool. And I think, I, I think geek therapy and what you're doing, providing tools for that world is like updating therapy, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. And um, so what do you think would be important for people to know about your work or geek therapy that, you know, we haven't already talked about? Okay. Well, for one thing, I think that the work that we're doing is going to keep growing and you need to be a part of that conversation. If you're out there right now listening, congratulations, podcasts are free education. Why would you let that go? Right. (laughs) So I'm really proud of you. I love the yellow bird podcast. I have actually, um, listen to several of your podcasts. And I've also, um, I think the one on somatic experiencing is going to be my next adventure. I never heard of it before I heard it on your podcast. And so I've been studying that for the last six months, the really great workbooks, really great tools out there for that. And I think someone said to me the other night, something so cool about how we're all doing the same work. It's just who we're following that did that work before. We're all using learning tools, DBT mindfulness, ACT tools, all these tools, psychodynamic work, building into the past and seeing the patterns as they present in the future. We're all using so many different modalities, so many different pieces of the puzzle that makes a person move forward in there. And there's nothing wrong with any of them. All of them are fabulous. But we can't let them be dead conversations. They need to be living and existing conversations. Um, one of the coolest things I ever got was old books, old books that people were not too afraid to write in, ask questions, circle, highlight, cross out, whatever they felt was part of the conversation. I, I used to get them from my professors and I'd be like, thank you. Even <laughs> if it's not important to what's going on. And it's one of, actually I think it was an English professor um, at Washburn, Dr. Uh, not Dr. Dennis Etzel. He actually gave me some books and he wrote all over them. And he said, you need to stop seeing books as a dead thing and start seeing them as a living conversation. That's the only way you're going to get all this material down. Mm-hmm. And it's changed the way I read. It's changed the way I write. And so what I would say to anybody who's listening, who wants to be a part of this conversation, contact me, find me. I'm on 
Instagram, my therapies, but not just me. Find the geek therapy community. Help us update this stuff so that it doesn't just disappear. The work of the 70s, there's some of the Menninger's work we can't even find in prints. It was limited edition. There was only maybe 100, 500 of them printed. And so it's almost like a collector's item to find the original books. Luckily, we're in Topeka. Well, I am. We're in Kansas. And so we can we can go to the source of where they practically just threw that stuff away. Yes. But um, I would say become a part of the conversation. Yes. Make sure that you know that it's not just downloading somebody else's brain. It's actually inputting. Yes. My big message for anybody. And again, podcasts are free education. What are you doing not listening? And if you're right. here, you're already <laughs> so that's one of my favorite things it's like they're free what the heck you know what? it's not even like a book a book you actually still pay for if you're like me and you hoard your books um yeah. I buy books I can't just give them back to the library I, I read them I go into a Barnes and Nobles or I go online and I look at Facebook groups and I say Woo, what are you reading um so I, I still have a million books but at the same token oh my gosh can you imagine our children are gonna have to throw all these things out or they're gonna have to get rid of them I feel like there should be a will for your tools. Yes, I know where to. <laughs> yes, for real. And I think yeah, yeah. There's, there's an actual will that you have to have a professional will to get rid of all your notes, any of your documentation stuff like that. You have to release it back to the clients, and you have to have another professional who's HIPAA compliant who can take care of that for you. My daughter was so devastated. She thought I was she was going to get to read all my my journals and my process notes. And I'm like, oh, honey, no. No, she's like, but it's, it's gotta be really fascinating to see how other people think. And I'm like, it is really fascinating. Get a degree. (laughs) Get a degree. Yeah. Do it yourself. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, that's funny. No, I love what you're saying because that's so true. We have to have an ongoing dialogue about all of this. And there's so many amazing tools and theories and are you okay? My dog's in the background. (laughs) You okay? It's okay. Okay. Yeah. She was just coughing a little bit. I think she just, I don't know, maybe she's chewing on something, but no, I love that because we do have to continue these conversations. And I think, you know, the one thing about uh, trauma work, especially, and I mean, all work, honestly, but trauma work in this field is that we have to be able to have that conversation. What's working, what's not, you know, as saying, I don't know, or that like this intervention and tool works so well with this specific client, but not this one. Right. And being able to be real and open about that. And, um, and yeah, I mean, we're all in this journey together. So I love that because, you know, yeah, we've, it's an evolving conversation as we evolve as humans and as we learn more, um, and, and kind of, I guess, you know, band together to learn more, right. And being open to how other people think. Don't be afraid to be a part of the conversation. I don't know how many people talk to me on Facebook threads and are like, oh, I know who you are. You post all the time in this group. And I'm like, you couldn't have said hi. Right. <laughs> but then I got right. people like you that are like, hey, April, how are you doing? <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool to see other therapists doing things like that and, and doing advocacy work and write, whether that's through writing, podcasting, anything like that, because my biggest thing is I wish more therapists shared what they're doing because I think that we could reach more people. And I feel like we tend to get so isolated in our work and we can just kind of do awesome things in the therapy room that of course we can't share because of HIPAA. But if we could take that magic and do more advocacy work, 
through writing, through. Did you have an aha, eureka moment after you processed it in a consultation? Yes. Where it was something simple that somebody else has been doing for 30 years and you had no idea that this intervention exists. Right. And all you needed was something to turn you in the other direction. Like your podcast on somatic experiencing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is so I feel like I I love it because I get to learn from people all the time and grow and we'll always be on this journey. But um but yeah, no, it's a really cool thing. So definitely a dialogue and let's create community. So I'm going to go into our last four questions. Um, and the first one is, what is the thing, what is one of the things you wish you knew when you started therapy? Oh, okay. I'm thinking about this. And the first thing that comes up to me is that I really wish I knew that I wouldn't have the answers. Mm. What I can do for that moment, because the client comes in and a lot of times they have a checklist in their head of things they've already tried. But there's just this, this pressure to be the wise owl and dispense of logic like Yoda and help them come to, and even Yoda was always a little cryptic, mm-hmm. but to, to just hand them the answers and let them be bigger and grow after they meet with you just the first time. And I wish I would have taken that pressure off myself and realized that, you know, the first eight weeks of therapy could be rapport building could be actually nailing down the patterns of this person's life and, and being in something magical called the pre-contemplative stage and having expectations that you're going to, and it happens. Sometimes it happens in the first month, in the first three weeks, you might actually see an amazing amount of growth, but that's not the norm. And I wish I had known. So I could have lifted that weight off my shoulders. Yeah. Well, I found too that if, if I'm trying to impress the client or give them advice or whatever, that that's usually about my ego and not about the client and their healing. That's been my journey, but I've, I've had to work through that as well. So I'm grateful you do that. Everybody should. I mean, you're the, you're the expert. You tell me the answer, right? (laughs) And at the same time, it's like if people were, I remember when I was going through graduate school and somebody saying, aren't you supposed to tell me what to do? And I'm like, uh, no, I don't think so. Question mark. Like it was, it was just like yes, a fun moment of like, no, in your head, you've lost all credibility and the truth you've been human. Yes. Yes. And I can't tell them what to do. It is their journey, their story. They are the experts of their experience. And I cannot make those decisions for them. Not only that, you can't change somebody who's not ready for it. You can't push somebody just by telling them what's going wrong and what their contribution is. You can't expect them to actually take those steps just because they have the information. They probably had the information before you started working with them. So true. So true. And what's the best um, geek therapy related book. I mean, maybe not the best, but you mentioned two. Maybe those are the only two out there so far that we know of. I don't know. You tell me kind of what that looks like as far as more reading on this um, subject. Okay. So if I were looking into geek therapy, again, I would honestly, I'd start with comic books and I would find different stories. There's a really great book that just came out called Heroes in Crisis, where Mm -hmm. all the supers in the DC world go to therapy. What? I love that. All my teeth. Yeah, right? It's, and you don't have to wait. Like your normal nerd like me has to wait Like as each book comes out every month. No, after like a year, they decide to compile all of them. I can't wait. The next one's going to be um, out hopefully this time next year. But 
Um, I, I use that in therapy a lot. I use that because a lot of the supers deal with the same stuff. Like the different Robins deal with, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Don't spoil it. Yeah. There's just so many different things that you knew they had problems, but you didn't realize what their core focus would be on if they're sitting there. And you can tell because there's a three by three panel where they're just sitting there and you know they're in therapy. And you know that they're talking to a, a mechanical type therapist. Okay, the premise for the entire book is, is that they've decided that being a superhero is traumatic. You, you see people die. You lose people you love. Um, a lot of people um, go through intense situations where they have an overwhelming amount of information they have to process. They have to save the world again and again and again. And that's very traumatizing. And of course, it's, it's super. So they're sensationalized stories. But at the same time, they actually acknowledge that that is too much trauma. And so they've created something with Crintonian, um, what is that? Crutonian science and the compassion of Wonder Woman and the money of Bruce Wayne. Um, they created something called Sanctuary, which is where the supers can go. They wear something to disguise themselves. It's like a cape and a mask. And they can go in there and they can, they can work with a therapist. And then whatever they process is deleted. Um, so there's a really big section about, because, of course, you know, the onset of all this stuff has to do with the murder. Um, getting the files and just finding out who the murderer was and all through it um batman says no they're deleted there is no and it so much came up for me about hipaa about how wouldn't it be easy to solve all these problems by just knowing who the bad guy is mm -hmm. and um and he's very fervent there is no backdoor i did not keep this information and um i just love that particular section of it without spoiling the rest of it um, I won't say who anybody, you know, hurts or anything like that, but the, just letting them normalize that. I love, love, love DC for creating a series, mm. but it's a, a hardbound book now and you can get it. And it's called Heroes in Crisis. Mm. And then another one I would recommend, and yes, I do use comic books in therapy. Another one I would recommend is, is uh, the person who created Geek Therapy as a whole, um, Jose Cardona is releasing at the end of this month, something called the Geek Therapy Playbook. And I've got that pre-ordered. I think it's always smart to pre-order books. You get them a little bit cheaper. But um, I'm looking forward to reading that. But other than that, my book um, <laughs> is the only one I know out there that's specific. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I just wrote that down and I'm excited because I have two clients in particular that I think would really benefit from that. Um, I just literally bookmark because it's all broken up into like it's a full thing, but there's a, a full image so you know where the books would actually start and stop and I just take little tabs and I stop them there and I say okay you're going to read one book aren't you lucky you don't have to wait nine months I'm only going to make you read one book every week <laughs> and then we start seeing what's happening there and I'm like okay so you have to tell me I, I let's pretend I haven't read it what's happening what do you think is what's happening who's the bad guy do you know who this is? And then sometimes I have to explain, like, this person is um, a time traveler. So it's going to get weird. Be okay with that. You know, this is not. Oh, cool. That's really neat. I love that. <laughs> of course, and our favorite anti-hero Harley Quinn is in there. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I think it's good to see, because I think the multiple layers of people, right, the good and the bad, you know, the broken and the healed, 
Like in that intervention that we talked about where I name the supers and then I have them name the things, you know, what always comes up Deadpool. And I always tell them there's a big difference between a superhero and an anti-hero. And then we have that discussion. The anti-hero is okay with murder. He's okay with death. And the anti-hero sometimes has a much more clear conscience because they see things more black and white. Mm-hmm. This, this is wrong. They're hurting a kid. We don't have to obey the laws because we're not 100% on the hero journey. Mm-hmm. And so that always brings up another conversation that I love. Is, 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 does, does Harley Quinn count? Harley mm-hmm. Quinn is an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Does she count? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. And do you have like words that are meaningful to you or a favorite quote? Um, it could, it, or just a quote that is, you know, particularly of interest to you at the moment. Well, there's a couple of them that come up to me. And the first one is, is Austin Cleon wrote the book, um, show your work. And he also wrote the book, steal like an artist, which is like, foundational for all my creatives I always make them read that because it's kind of similar to mine and style that is very big on graphics and it's very big on writing and things like that and it's not so big on content and uh, he puts it's very simple you just create what you love and then do it again Mm-hmm. create what you love write the book you love write the write the book you wish were there that you wanted to read and um the second one is actually from my husband mm-hmm. and I tell my friends and I tell my clients and I tell my interns this all the time when they're stuck in a situation where there really isn't there's an end in sight but it seems impossible right now and um I tell them that you can do anything you need to do for the time that you have to do it in to get to where you want to go and that's, that's his words. But I always say, like, you can do anything for one year because your goal is that important to get you where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. Do you remember those clinical interns where you're trying to balance everything on top of 30 hours a week? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yes. And you can, you can do hard things is kind of my version of that. I'm always like, you can do hard things. Look at all the hard things you've done. You can do hard things. <laughs> like, this is not going to be easy, but you can do it. And I like that there's the time frame part of that too. I, I don't have that in mind. <laughs> so that's really cool. I like to remind them that there's an end, you know, there's, there's a stop where this is no longer going to be in control of your life and you're going to get past it. Mm-hmm. And that's so. important for people too, because it, yeah, they're like, am I going to have to do hard things forever? And it's like, if they felt that way and there was no hope at the end of the tunnel, then of right. course they'd be like, well, screw this. <laughs> Right, like this is my life forever. I don't want it. (laughs) I want to get an exchange. I want to be a child again. Good luck with that. Yes, (laughs) yes, exactly. And then the last question: What is the one question or a question that I didn't ask that you feel would be really important getting to know you or getting to know geek therapy? Again, that goes back to becoming a part of the conversation. But I want to say that my next book launch is coming up. And if you want to connect with me and find out more about it, you can look on either Instagram or Facebook at my therapies. Um, T H E R. Oh gosh. Therapies. T H E R M Y T H E R A P I E S. I promise I have degrees. Um, <laughs> I do that sometimes. I say that. I say, huh, I have degrees. I promise I have degrees. Um, 
you can find me there. I'm actually doing a book launch down in Noto here in Topeka, Kansas. It's at a shop called Sparkworks, which is 907 North Kansas Avenue. Um, I love, I love the art walks if you've ever got to participate in any of those. So being a part of that and there's going to be, um, the owner of Sparkworks is going to have a show up about emotions. I'm really excited about that. And so if you want to meet with me live on December 6th, between 5.30 and 7, come down and have cookies with me and pick up a copy of Mana Up and also my new book that's just launching. Can I say it? It has an explicit title. Yeah, I'm cool with that. I'm totally fine with it. Yeah. Don't with me I'm grounded <laughs> I love it's all about leveling up in life yes yeah I'm excited about that yeah setting boundaries leveling up getting confidence all the stuff that you know you get packaged up but you don't get to see and meet everyone that's why I said way at the beginning of our interview write that book because mm-hmm. that's how you add your voice to the conversation through podcasting through one-on-one conversations, you can only reach so many people. Right. So, so write the book that you wish were already out there. Yeah, that's a great, great thing. I've, I've, I've considered writing books too, because I love writing. It's something I love. Um, but I do a lot of blogging at the moment and podcasting. That's kind of my avenue for creativity at the moment. But I love that. That's awesome. I... And also, yeah, I love for people here locally, go support our local people. Um, go pick up this book, go see if you can meet you, April, in person. Um, and yeah, and that would be awesome. I I wish Topeka was closer because I'm I, I wonder when I'm I think I might be out of town that weekend. <laughs> anyway. I haven't shown gratitude. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Jenny. Yes, and I I hope to meet you in person here soon too, because I really enjoyed this and I enjoyed reading your ebook and I enjoyed getting to know you better. Um, I love the way that you're looking at things. I love how you're upgrading therapy. So thank you for what you're doing for our community. I can't wait to hear this live. Yes. well, not quite live, but I'll be, I'll be posting it here in the next couple of days or so. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Take care.